What's next for customer experience? That's our topic today. We are speaking with two professors from Wharton, Nikolai Siglico and Christian Terwish, authors of the book Connected Strategy. Gentlemen, welcome to CXO Talk. I'm so thrilled for you to be here. Well, thank you for having us. It's great to be on your show, Michael. So I'll just, as a, as a way to start, I'll just ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves. Let me start. My name is Nikolai Zikolko. I'm a professor of strategy here at the Wharton School. Uh, actually, both Christian and I joined at the same time uh, about 21 years ago. Uh, and as you will probably tell from our accents, we are both originally from Germany as well. So, uh, but we've been in this country for a long time and uh, been here at Wharton and uh, really enjoying our time here. So my name is Christian Tevich. I'm going to be the other actor here in this German comedy. I've been with Warden with Nikolai for 21 years. I also have a secondary appointment at the School of Medicine. And so when we talk about customer experience, for me, that oftentimes also means patient experience. As we have this conversation, we should definitely drill down into patient experience. I think it's a great example. But Nikolai, let me begin with you and ask, when we talk about customer experience, it's such a vague term. What actually does it mean? And, and why does it matter? I think sort of the interesting thing is when you uh, ask managers to think about the customer experience or what are the value drivers that customers have for their firm's product or service, all right, they would immediately go to uh, tangible or intangible aspects about their product, right? The quality of the product, the speed, uh, the size, uh, maybe the brand. Uh, but really what is really important to understand about a customer experience is that there is a whole customer journey a customer has with you, right? It starts kind of from the moment the customer becomes even aware of a need to understanding what are the options out there to ordering, to paying, uh, to receiving, right? And then actually only I'm experiencing the product and then there's sort of some after-sales service support. So it's a whole customer journey. Uh, and sort of what we are talking about in this book are kind of you know, various ways of how really to think about customer experiences in a much broader sense than just about kind of the product that you are getting. Yeah, to put this in a medical context, it's really not what just happens between you and the doctor or while you as a patient are in the hospital. It happens, you know, in the time that it precedes you coming to the hospital. That's where you are hopefully kept healthy. And it continues when you're being discharged. And I think the idea of being connected is a very powerful concept that you're not just doing a good job in the moment of the experience of the service or product, but really think about this whole customer journey. The notion of customer journey is, can, can you... Can, can you say that that is the, the fundamental building block of customer experience? Would that be an accurate way to put it? So from a customer experience perspective, yes. So we think about the customer journey, starting with the revelation of the need, the customer, the patient becoming aware of the need, him or herself, going through that process, a cognitive process of what should I do about the fulfillment, leading ultimately towards a very specific request to a company, do something for me, and the response from that company saying, like, well, here is how I can help you. Um, in the spirit of what we call a connected strategy, there's this customer-centric piece, but then there's also a whole fulfillment piece on how you connect with your value chain of making that connected customer experience happen. So it's the product, it's the journey, but then when you talk about the connected customer strategy, maybe elaborate on what you mean by that, by that network. There, there's connections on two different sides, right? So there is, I think, one fundamental way of what connected strategies do is to really reshape the way you're interacting with your customer or your patient, right? Sort of rather than having these few episodic interactions, to have a much deeper relationship 
that potentially, for instance, allows you to anticipate needs. So let's let's pick, you know keep going with the medical example. Right, quite often when a patient is aware of a need, it's already too late or really inefficient. Right, I'm already lying on the ground having a heart attack. That is probably not the most efficient time, kind of, to become aware of the need and for the whole system, right, to solve that problem. So by having a much deeper connection, right, I might be able to anticipate the need. Now, even if the customer knows I have a need, right, the customer may not really know kind of what is actually the best option of how to fulfill that need. Now, again, I can help that customer. And if I know a lot about that customer by having, for instance, a good data stream from the customer to me, I might really be helpful in helping that customer and understanding what are all the options out there. For instance, right, you have some heart palpitations, what should you be doing and what might be the best solution for you, right? So this the connectivity part on the customer side is really eventually making that customer journey really, really smooth and frictionless, right? Uh, and making it way more efficient for us to provide and for the customer to value more. So that's one part of connectivity or part of connected strategy, right? The other part of the connected strategy is how do we actually create these sort of connected customer relationships in an efficient way, right? Again, using healthcare, it's very easy how you can increase the value for a customer. You just put a nurse and a doctor next to the <laughs> next to the person all you know 24/7, right? And then the customer would be rather happy, or that patient would be rather happy. But it's really, really inefficient to do so, right? And so, the second part of our book and of the framework is really thinking about these different connected delivery models, and that may require us to connect various players in our ecosystem that previously have not been connected. So we have sort of connectivity on both kind of the side of the customer and of the side of the delivery model. So this notion, again, of customer experience in order to create, I'm not, what would be even the right term? I was going to say a good, authentic, uh, positive customer experience, a deep customer experience. I'll, I'll let you guys tell me the right the right term, but it then requires uh, tendrils, so to speak, reaching out that are that relate to the to the customer's environment, to the customer's psychology. Again, is I think Michael, you're asking a deep question <coughs> there, and I think it's helpful to backpedal a little bit and just realize that customers neither want products or services. Customers have needs. But if we stay with kind of the healthcare space, if you go a little bit maybe into the active lifestyle, into sports, you might say like customers have a need for a running shoe. That's one way of framing the problem. Really what they want to do is they run. Many of them want to run because they want to stay healthy. So you can think about deeper and deeper needs. And when you think about the company who is kind of sitting on the other side who is trying to help you fulfill their needs, if you are just, so to say, just in the running shoe business, you're competing on a very transactional basis with the customer. The customer is only entrusting you at a very transactional, superficial level. If you become that partner for life that keeps me healthy, that keeps me uh, active in life, you have a much better competitive position. You're adding much bigger value to the customer in many more ways than just selling a great shoe. We have a question from Twitter, and Arsalan Khan is asking about the mix between external customers and internal customers, namely employees. And, so, and when I have spoken with a number of CEOs on this show of large organizations, oftentimes they raise the fact that good customer experience has to begin with internal employees. So do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, so, okay. So actually, I, I thought the question was going in a slightly different direction. Because um, the intriguing thing is we can think about a connected strategy, 
not necessarily just between a firm and their customers, but we can sometimes also think about internal connected strategies within an organization, right? So uh, if I'm the uh, legal department in an organization, right, do I have few episodic interactions? Do I just basically wait for someone to come with a problem to me and then I help them? Or am I actually internally connected so I can anticipate the needs of right, my clients within my own organization? So we're actually seeing some very interesting ways of our firms are thinking about connected strategies inside their organizations. Okay, uh, So that's as one piece. Now, the other piece that, that maybe that, that, that question is really getting at uh, is another really important point that connected strategies, of course, use technologies and quite often new technologies is what enables connected strategies to be implemented. But technologies are usually actually available to everyone. Uh, so that's quite often not the source of difficulty of implementing connected strategies. The real difficulty quite often is indeed organizational. Uh, and be that at the level of the employee, be it at the level of information exchange within organizations. So coming just a little bit back to the question you asked earlier about you know, how to think about experiences and then what's this other term? Uh, and so we would call this other term actually a relationship, right? So that's actually why we are thinking about it as connected customers' relationships. And so there are a series of experiences that you have. And again, each experience we want to make as smooth and as easy as possible with you as a customer. But to really eventually get to this relationship piece, we have to learn whenever we interact with you and become sort of better and better in understanding your needs and fulfilling them, right? And so we need to move slowly sort of from experiences to really then being able to address these more fundamental needs that Christian was talking about in having a trusted relationship with our customer. Christian, so, so trusted relationship, is that the fundamental building block, can we say, that we're going for? It's a fundamental building block. I mean, in, in our framework, there's a little journey from the customer experience side, it starts with recognizing the need. So recognize, I recognize I need something, or the firm recognizes I need something. At some point, that recognize is codified in some form of a request. I want a new toothbrush. I might have the healthcare system intervene and send me an ambulance. Recognize request, and that is the response. The firm sits on the other side, they get this data and send the response to my need. But the value in the relationship that Nicola really emphasizes, recognize, request, respond, repeat, you start over again. And that builds two things. It builds the trust that, Michael, in your question you were after, but it also really builds a form of efficiency that allows us to break this trade-off between the willingness to pay, the customer delight, the customer happiness on the one side, and the fulfillment cost on the other side. By repeatedly doing that loop, I can customize, I get to know you better, Michael, and I can customize the products and services to you and your specific need. And even better, what I can do is I can learn, we call this meta-level data and meta-learning. I can learn about the population, your market segment, people like you, Michael, and that allows us to provide our new products or services, change our assortments, and that makes everybody better off. So absolutely, this repeat dimension is critical. We have a, a really interesting question from Twitter. Sal Rasa asks, and I think this probably is for Christian because, the, because of the healthcare angle. And, and Sal Rasa says, how do current HIPAA and other gov government regulations inhibit the flow of critical patient information? And does this inhibit then customer experience and how can communication make that customer or patient experience better? 
Clearly, in the healthcare world, a lot of the kind of connectivity examples that we've seen in other industries, if you think about Disney and the Magic Band, if you think about the relationship that we have with Amazon, those companies were five, ten years ahead of the healthcare space because the healthcare space is heavily regulated. And so that regulation, we can always kind of point fingers at legislative uh, forces and complain about them. By and large, these regulations are, I would argue, a good thing. Uh, you see increasingly healthcare systems doing the types of things that we're talking about. Uh, Nikolai and I are working for the University of Pennsylvania. That's where the Wharton School is hosted. We at Penn own a very big healthcare system called Penn Medicine. And increasingly, you see the big systems, the big infrastructure providers like an Epic or so, basically building the building blocks that allow for a secure exchange of this type of HIPAA information. You have the electronic health record for the patients where everything is becoming digital. So the infrastructure is there. And I don't think I have to be a prophet to predict that in the next five years, we see a massive explosion of these types of connected services in healthcare. You were talking earlier about this notion of efficiency and will it customers' willingness to pay and then the cost of fulfillment. And would you elaborate on that? That seems like it's another really crucial point. I think about how do we create value in the eyes of the customer, right? And different customers will have different value drivers. Uh, and so you can sort of summarize all of that in a concept we might call a willingness to pay or kind of the perceived value that the customer has from getting a particular product and service. And that, for instance, can be a function, right, of the product attributes. But overall, again, thinking about willingness to pay drivers along the entire kind of customer journey is really kind of what opens up kind of this thinking around, around more connectivity. Um, so that's sort of the value that we are creating for the, in the customer's eye. And then there's, on the other hand, right, a cost that we have of creating that particular experience. And so there is a trade-off, right? Uh, again, as I said with the example of the doctor and the nurse who are standing right next to me, right? My willingness to pay for that service is relatively high, or let's put it this way, right? The value that I'm getting out of that particular service is really high, but also the cost of providing that service is really high. You know, conversely, I could have, right, only sort of telemedicine and I never see anyone and whatever it is, I'll have to maybe inject myself, right? That's a really low cost uh, solution. Uh, but, you know, the, the quality of that is not very high because, you know, I might not actually hit my vein if I do this. So um, there's usually a trade-off. And so we're thinking about this like as a frontier. There's sort of a certain efficiency frontier in an industry that describes kind of that trade-off between the willingness to pay and the fulfillment cost. And so what has been quite interesting is that evolutions and developments around connected strategies really have allowed firms to push out that frontier, to be able to actually create a service, a product that customers like more than the existing solution, and the firm is actually able to create that superior experience at a lower cost. Right? And that, of course, is very disruptive, right? Because now a firm comes in that has a better product and they can probably offer it at a lower price because their cost is even lower. Right? So a good example might be Uber or Lyft, right? Uh, that all of a sudden, right, customers say, hey, that's actually better than a cab experience. And Uber and Lyft can create these rides at a lower unit cost than a cab company has. So that's why there's disruption. So from the perspective of the existing firms in the industries, these new connected strategies look like, wow, kind of they've blown out you know, all this trade-off. Now, of course, that trade-off still exists, but now it exists at a higher level, right? So we have pushed out that frontier. So that's kind of the underlying we call the magic of the connected strategy that sometimes actually allows you to do both of these things, and that creates disruption. Yeah, let me add to that. When I started working in healthcare some 20 years ago, 
I was initially labeled an even evil person. People said like the productivity of the doctor fulfillment cause. Their perception was that, well, all, what I would do as an operations professor, I make things cheaper. I would lower fulfillment costs and that, in the spirit of the trade-off that Nicola was just talking to, between the willingness to pay the quality of care and the efficiency. If I improve efficiency, the default assumption was that, well, of course, quality has to come down. Right? The idea of operations management is by being smart, I can improve by taking out cancellations and no-shows, by freeing up the providers from unnecessary work. I can shift that frontier and make things better, right? better quality at lower cost. But in operations management, and I've been frustrated with that over the years, you can only push the current system so hard. Right? You can only take that much waste out of the system. And what I'm excited about our work here on Connected Strategy is really these game changers, right? these forces of disruption. You're not just shifting the frontier like by a little bit, you're just totally redefining the industry. And I think that is the value proposition of our book. Would it be correct to, to say that the value proposition of the book is how do we use technology or other means to push that efficiency frontier out so that we're delivering better experiences at a lower cost? for customers to the point where it becomes, as you said, disruptive. Is that an accurate way of, of saying it? I think so, but I want to go back to something that Nikolai said, and I think he was about to say that. <laughs> thing, right? We're like a little when we hear like how to use technology. The bottleneck here is not technology, right? The technology is out there, right? And we're living in the world of sensors, smartphones, connectivity. The technology is there. The limitation is our ability to imagine a new user experience Partly because we never had so many degrees of freedoms as managers. We can do now things that were never possible 20, 30, 40 years ago. We can do these things. So we're limited by our imagination. We're limited by our current way of doing things. We hold a certain set of assets, resources. And again, we don't see how we could reconnect them in new ways to create the fulfillment. So we think about this more of a business model innovation. But short of that, Michael, I thought your summary of the book was pretty good. That's really interesting. Okay, so when you start uh, pushing that efficiency curve and rebalancing the cost of the cost of fulfillment, I was going to say the cost of delivery, with the customer's willingness to pay, technology is not necessarily the driver, but it's rethinking the business model, and that's the that that becomes the underlying driver of your ability to make this kind of change, disruptive change? Technology, of course, plays a role, right? So uh, again, let, let's think about Lyft or Uber, right? Um, clearly, without cell phones, without GPS, without Google Maps, right, that would not work, right? It's, it's very hard to coordinate, uh, right, understand you know, who are the customers out there, who are people who have a car, right? Without those technologies, that business model would not work. At the same time, it was not Uber, right, who developed all of these technologies, right? Uh, they didn't say, okay, in order for my business model to work, I now need to right, create a, a maps product. And now I need to create a way of connecting people via some gadget that, that connects somehow wirelessly. No, right? Those technologies were out there. Uh, and so they said, if we can put these technologies together, all of a sudden we can come up with a business model that can really create disruption, right? So that, that's kind of the point. So certainly technologies are important. Um, but they're quite often out there, so it's the business model. Now, the other part, and we, we started talking about this a little bit earlier, is really this notion of the organizational change that may have to happen, right? So 
fundamentally, again, what connected strategies are about is basically this notion of customer centricity, right? You really want to think about one particular customer. You want to make that customer really happy by understanding the various pain points this customer has along the customer journey or the particular willingness to pay drives for that customer. So we need to understand that customer uh, really, really well. But quite often, we are actually not organized that way, right? So uh, when we talk to the folks at Disney who kind of created the, uh, the Magic Band, right? They said, of course, we want to create the seamless customer experience, right? From the moment you go online and you want to think about a vacation to you book your vacation, you get on the plane, you get out in Orlando, you somehow get to the hotel, you check into your hotel room, you get to the theme park, you get on some rides, you get some food, you go home, right? All of that should be one consistent, seamless customer experience. And from a certain aspect, it is, right? Because it is one person, right? Uh, experiencing all of that. But the problem is really that that person has to deal and navigate through the organizational structure of Disney, right? Once in a while, I have to interact with the online division, then I have to interact with the hotel division, then I have to interact with the restaurant division, right? It's basically left up to the customer kind of to stitch together these things and somehow understand how Disney, the organization, is working. And they said that we have to change, right? Uh, we have to change the information flow within our organization so that we all understand and learn about that particular customer, no matter what touch point we have for that customer, be it online, be it offline, be it in the theme park, in the restaurant, right? And, and that's really tough. That's really difficult. But that's more of an organizational change than just a technology change. Organizational change is such an important one, but I'm also mindful of the time. And, and so you've, you've described it very eloquently. So let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about the role of data in being able to create these kinds of connected customer experiences that you're describing. Data is created as you go through this loop of recognizing need form a request, either the firm forms a request or the customer forms a request. The firm responds, recognize, request, respond, repeat. And as we're going through that cycle, data is like an exhaust, right? It's like a byproduct. It's generated. So what do you do with that data? So the first thing that you do is you learn about Nikolai over time. You learn his preferences. You learn that he likes German comedies, if there is such a thing. You learn a food preference over time. And you basically get better and better at serving Nikolai. But there's not just Nikolai, there are many other people like him. Sorry, he is unique, of course, but there are many people in that market segment. And so by having learned about all of those, you can start finding opportunities. Right? You start creating new, uh, new series, new jokes, new comedies. You start providing new meals as a restaurant. And that allows you, again, to shift that frontier because that is data that allows you to take the most advantage of the expensive resources that you have and to gain insights that your competitors don't have. So let me just add, because I think one misconception I think we tried to remove so far was right, connected strategies is all about technology. Right? I think the second misconception is connected strategies all about data. Data by itself actually doesn't do anything. Right? Lots of firms have lots of data. Right? I know now every click that you've ever done on your web page, and now I have gigabytes of data, but I have no idea what to do with it. Right? And I think kind of what we are really pushing here in the book is quite often the way kind of to think about it is coming back to this idea about the customer experience, right? Really ask, you know, what are the pain points? What are the value drivers? And then you can ask, what kind of data would I need to relieve that pain point, right? To uh, delight the customer even more. 
And so really the fundamental thing is about learning, right? It's, of course, now learning requires data, right? So data, of course, is important, uh, right? But it is really that learning that is the important piece. And that actually, again, doesn't happen by itself, right? Uh, just having lots of sensors out there and receiving gigabytes of data is not going to create a connected strategy, right? It's then asking what do we need to do with this? And that's really kind of that learning loop that, that Christian was talking about, both learning at the level of the individual and learning at the level of a population. But that implies then that you know going in, what are the questions that you need to ask, right? What do we need to learn? Which then requires a deeper kind of uh, strategy. Yeah, I like the way that you put it. I think there is big data and there is small data. I think any good strategy formation is not just done by an executive sitting in a corner office looking through big databases using Excel or Tableau or some kind of uh, fancy algorithm. But you really have to get a sense of like what are the insights here from talking to the customers? What are the user experiences that they want? We find it helpful kind of in the spirit of customer experience to distinguish situations where the customer just wants something. They know that they want it. They know what they want. They just want to press a button, right? Really think Uber. I know I want to get home at 3 p.m. today. I know where I live. Just kind of make it as simple as possible. Then we have something that we call curated offering where the pain points really have to do with the fact that I really don't quite know what I want. I know that I'm hungry, but I don't know where I want to eat and what I would enjoy. I know I want to watch a comedy tonight, but I'm, I don't know what the very recent releases are. I know I want to get a pay rise, but I don't know what to study in accounting. The next level up is I know I want to stay healthy, but sometimes, you know, I'm a little reluctant. I'm a little lazy. I'm a little myopic. And then I'm looking for somebody who gives me like a little kick in the rear to just make me go and encourages me. And then in the very extreme situation, I might really want to outsource to delegate a problem that I have, like balancing my portfolio or tracking my, the safety of my house. I just want to say like, well, you company, you deal with all of that. So those are four very different user experiences that we describe in the book. They require very different data and they do require very different strategies. And it is your role as an executive to have the vision to ask yourself like, what does a particular customer really want along that spectrum? We have another question from Twitter, really interesting question, actually two, from Gus Beckdash. And the first question he asks is, uh, AI and digitalization have enable enterprises to present new faces and collect new data. So how does that data, that new type of data, affect customer relationships? And then he goes on to ask about uh, what, is, what do enterprises owe their customers regarding how they use that data? And so what I'll ask you then is, the, so how does data, this new type of data, affect the ability to have change, evolve these customer relationships? But, but then, rather than talking about privacy so much, if you can then kind of shift into uh, the notion of trust. That's a really important point, right? And uh, so we, we talked a little bit earlier about how firms would like to transform right experiences into relationships, kind of slowly move up that hierarchy of needs, right? I'm not just helping you deal with your cardiac problem right now. I try to keep you healthy. Um, that move towards becoming more a trusted advisor or having a trusted relationship is, I think, really where sort of the goal of connected strategies lies and where the big potential of connected strategy lies. 
uh, a kind of from the customer's perspective because wow right so if my happiness my willingness to pay goes up if you're not just helping me with a low level need but if you're now helping me with a bigger need of for instance right keeping me healthy um, from the firm's perspective, that is really helpful because now I don't have to compete transaction by transaction against everyone around the world, uh, right? Right now, uh, once I have you in that relationship, once you trust me, right, all of a sudden I can focus my attention much more on making you better rather than just, you know, dropping my price again. Um, but as the name implies, right, being a trusted partner means trust, right? And uh, now let's get back to the data point because obviously underlying a lot of this is the data that we are able to gather from the customer right throughout these phases of the customer journey. And there are really two humongously important topics here, right? There's data security and there's data privacy, right? Uh, so the security angle is just, right, are we protecting your data in a way that no one who shouldn't have access to it gets access to it? But the privacy angle is sort of more broadly, right? And it says, are we actually use the, are we using the data in the way it was intended to, right? Does the customer actually know how we're going to use the data? Are we just using it to make that customer's life actually better or not? And so clearly in creating, again, a connected strategy, you're not going to immediately jump to this point of, well, let me be your trusted your partner. But I think the way it is sort of going to work out is that a customer says, look, you company, I'll give you a bit of slice of data and now you show me how you can make my life better, right? And once you've shown that to me, maybe now I'm willing to give you a bit more data. You know, I think Amazon is a great example, right? So if Amazon at some point asked me, Nikolai, where do you live and what's your credit card number, right? And I gave them that information and then they said, okay, look, now we've got a button and you just need to click it and everything is done. So, whoa, well, okay, now I've given up a little bit of my privacy, right? Now you know where I live and here's my credit card information, but, but I really saw my life improve a little bit better, right? Now Amazon says, great, now we've got that thing figured out, but now we're delivering it to you and you're never at home. That's a problem, that's a pain point. So give me access to the trunk of your car. And I say, well, it's kind of weird, but okay, but maybe I give them access to the trunk of my car and lo and behold, right now, they're delivering stuff to the trunk of my car and another big pain point has been removed, uh, right? So I don't have to go to UPS twice a month to pick up stuff because I was never at home. So. Uh, again, I think it is sort of that slow process, right, of you give me a slice of data and I can really show you how I can make your life better, uh, that we are slowly building up that trust. But of course, trust can be also easily lost, right? And this is why I think data privacy, data security are so important in creating connected strategies. We have a really interesting question from Twitter. This one is right out of left field. And Arsalan Khan, and I think it relates to, to this as well, Arsalan Khan makes, asks the question, he says, Mon monopolies don't care about customer experience, should they? A monopolist point of view on customer experience. I never heard anybody talk about that before. Of course they do. Um, <laughs> uh, now we could go into a little microeconomics lecture of, right, if you push up your willingness to pay, you push up the demand curve and you will increase your profits. So uh, now I understand obviously where the... the uh, the question is coming from. The question is, I think, coming a bit more from, well, if I'm a monopolist, I have much less incentive, right, somehow to invest in things and to be more innovative that might actually allow me to even create higher profits, right? Uh, and that's, I think, what we see sometimes in industries. If you have a very protected industry, 
right? I, I don't feel the competitive pressure to innovate. Let's think about the cab industry, right? <laughs> the cab industry basically in every city was a regulated monopoly uh, to a certain extent, right? And there was just no incentive to innovate. And that, I think, again, opened up the room for, for companies like Uber and Lyft to come in, right? So I think on one hand, I completely understand the question that uh, I think it is really the incentives uh, that competition brings to innovate. Um, but let me just maybe add one more thing here, uh, and that I think is quite important as we're now starting to think about a uh, competitive advantage. We've noted before that the technologies that underlie connected strategies are quite often sort of available to everyone, right? And so that's in some sense good news because you as a company, you don't have to become a technology company to create a connected strategy. The bad news is all of your competitors have access to those technologies as well. Right? And so I think a lot of these elements of connected strategies will ultimately become table stakes. Right? Everyone will have connectivity. Everyone will have access to a certain amount of data. Everyone will have this expectation of being connected 24-7. So a lot of those elements that we're talking about will become table stakes. So just innovating, just becoming better what the existing solution is, is actually not enough. Now we have to ask ourselves not how do we beat, if I'm Uber, how do I beat cab companies, but how do I beat Lyft, right? And that's a much more difficult question. And again, as we sort of argue in the book, we really believe it is that learning loop that Christian was talking about, right? That repeat loop, that is actually possibly the source of sustained competitive advantage, right? Because that kind of customer insight, that kind of learning, that is much more difficult to replicate than a particular technology. Christian, what about the notion of building a virtuous cycle with a customer where, where does that fit in and also how do we so how do we do that and what are the obstacles that interfere with that i mean it's really building on the part we were just a moment ago in the discussion right it is that feedback loop by doing more repeated interaction with the customer you learn more about that customer you learn more about customers like that customer that metadata i mentioned previously on and that is a virtuous cycle in action, right? I mean, you go through this, you go through this, you iterate, you iterate, you get better and better, and you're both getting a better job of fulfilling that customer's needs. You get entrusted with a bigger, deeper need by that customer, and you're going to grab market share. And that is this virtuous cycle in action. Uh, I do agree with the earlier question that there are clearly some concerns on the monopoly platform side. Uh, but I think this idea, the whole definition of a monopoly or of a company serving a particular market in that space is also with connected strategies slightly getting fuzzy, right? As you're going from solving the problem of selling me a running shoe towards managing my active life, the, the, the nature of the industry that is relevant to define economic concepts such as monopoly is changing. And so uh, you're really becoming more fuzzy and in an area where there are lots of other substitutes for the product or service that you provide and somebody that even if they have an 80% market share, but it's something that we shouldn't really call a monopoly. This notion of self-renewing interactions that you also talk about, maybe you can elaborate on that one. I'm not quite getting self-renewing uh, interactions. Now, there is uh, clearly kind of the sense of, right, as we are getting more and more information um, what happens is, right, if we get a better fit between kind of the needs of the customer and kind of what we're able to uh, provide to the customer, right, uh, it is, again, sort of more likely that that customer comes back to us and we have more interactions and we get more data, right? And in some sense, that is sort of kind of that, that, that virtuous cycle. 
uh, where kind of connections in some sense beget new connections, right, or new interactions over time, uh, both at the level of that customer and, of course, if we're doing a really great job, we should be attracting new customers, right, that, again, give us a larger database uh, to kind of optimize the product offering that we have in the first place. We're almost out of time, and so I'd like to ask each of you to share your thoughts, share your advice on business leaders who are listening to this conversation and saying, yeah, this sounds, you know, this sounds great. Connected customer relationships are going beyond customer experience. What do they need to do? How do they get on this path? Well, look, Mike, I'm an ops professor, not a sales professor, but let me try, right? The first <laughs> thing that you need to do is get the book, right? The second thing that you need to do is get on our website, connectedstrategy.com, where we have lots of extra information for free, videos with the people, all, uh, podcasts with people that we interviewed as part of our research, case studies filled out. And so those are the first steps. But kidding aside, what this book really does is it's not written as in kind of understand the world book. It's written in a very prescriptive way where we have a couple of workshop chapters at the end of the three parts of each book. There's a workshops chapter. And that really walks folks, executives, through the exercise of first understanding what the potential is for a connected strategy. Second, talk about this kind of the connected customer relationships that we talked about in, in, in your show today, Mike. And then third, of, of how do you make it happen on the fulfillment side, how to build a value chain, a supply chain that is leveraging connectivity that you can provide this magical customer experience without breaking the bank. Yeah, I mean, we had the, the great fortune, obviously, of, of writing the book while teaching the book. Um, and so that's maybe took a bit longer for us to actually finish the book, but it was really very valuable. So uh, teaching these content, uh, the content both to our MBA students, our executive MBA students, other participants of executive education programs here at Wharton. And so we were actually really able to road test kind of the various exercises, worksheets that we have in the, in the book. Um, kind of to really readdress really your question, right? Because that is quite often where companies or managers are stuck right now, right? I have all of this data. I know stuff is happening around me, right? How do I make sense of all of these new developments, right? And that was really kind of the purpose of why we wrote the book. And we've really tried to make it sort of as actionable as possible uh, through these uh, workshop chapters that we have in there. As you were talking with customers uh, doing your, not customers, as you were talking with companies about, customer experience about these issues, what were the kinds of obstacles that seem to come up the most? I think Nikolai earlier on mentioned this idea of organizational structures and incentives. Right? So you think about a firm like a Disney, uh, think about a big retail company, where you are having multiple channels that connect to the customers, where you might have a website, you might have oh, basically some mobile services, you might have still some brick and mortar activities. Oftentimes, these things were grown by acquisition, have different IT systems, but even if you figure that out, there's this organizational channel that you provide a great customer service in the store to a customer, that customer comes back online and buys something, but you really don't necessarily know that it's the same customer, and so suddenly you have the person doing the work in the store, but the person getting in the online channel getting the credit. So these organizational incentives issues that I think are really a big roadblock that keeps many uh, organizations especially I think in healthcare these days where, again, you also mentioned the HIPAA regulations. Uh, some organizations have started that journey, but I think we're really only at the beginning of the connected strategy journey. Yeah, and I think just to echo one thing that we said earlier, I think quite often the obstacle is that 
firms focus or managers focus too much early on on technologies, right? Oh, there's new technologies out there. Let's just put these technologies in. Let's hire an AI guy. Let's uh, put some sensors on our customers, right? And then we have all of this uh, wonderful data and then we'll, we'll figure out what to do with it, right? And I think really coming from the other angle, really understanding first the customer, the customer needs. Now, of course, uh, as we said earlier, kind of, right, that sort of requires us to know what we're actually looking for. And of course, it's not quite that easy. It is much more of an iterative process, right? As we learn more about customers, we learn more what kinds of questions do we need to ask or we find out new pain points that we ever never knew about. Uh, that's all, all, all good. Um, but we really have to really you know, put ourselves in the shoes of the customer, right? Rather than coming in from the other side, just thinking about it's about technology and data. Would it be accurate to say that if you know what you're looking for, that data becomes the proxy for having empathy for the customer, or to put it another way, data allows you to gain empathy into the customer because you're looking at their, their digital tracks. The link between data and empathy is indeed a good one, right? The empathy matters most at this fuzzy front end of the customer journey when the needs might potentially still be latent, even the customer themselves are not aware of the needs. And so if you think again about the world of healthcare, there you can start tracking data about body measurements, right? I mean, what's happening in my gut, what's happening in my brain, what's happening with my skin temperature, all of those things are things that we are currently and we will increasingly be able to measure. And these are, I think, good, as I think, as Michael, your question suggests, I think these are very good proxies for empathy. You still have to have the empathy in the first place to know which sensors to make, make the most sense, which variables to connect. But I like the idea of using these kind of these, this type of early data in the consumption chain in the, in the customer journey to get things that previously were just connected in this, in this empathy space. We have literally about two minutes left. And so let me ask each of you a hard question. Can you, can you summarize just in a, literally a sentence or two everything you know about this topic? <laughs> Buy this book, right? And you're... Uh... <laughs> you guys are university professors. In fact, I would have thought you're marketers. No, but seriously, uh, go on. <laughs> the synopsis here, uh, Connected Strategy, has two different pieces to it. On the one hand, there is creating connected customer relationships, and that requires you to recognize a need, to transform that information into a request for a particular solution, to respond to that particular request, and then to repeat that interaction again and again uh, to learn more and more about this and to have kind of a smoother uh, loop. And on the other hand, you have a connected delivery model uh, that is composed, again, of actually three different parts. There's a connection architecture, there's a, a revenue model, and a technology infrastructure, right? And all of these come together, right, to help a firm to create sort of a higher willingness to pay in the customer at actually lower cost. I get 20 seconds, I would say there's a what, there's a how, what does a customer want, what customer experiences do you want to provide? That's the what, there is a how, how are you going to go about this? Both the what and the how get a lot better with connectivity that allows us to break the trade-off that we've always had between the what, the how, this efficiency frontier, shift it out, and you get better service for less money. All right. Well, we are out of time. It's been a very, very fast and a very interesting conversation. We've been speaking with Nikolai Sigilkow and Christian Terwish, and I've probably mangled both your names, and I apologize about that. They are the authors of Connected Strategy. It's a very, very 
great book about the next evolution of customer experience into customer relationships based on trust and based on various types of connections. Once again, please subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to our newsletter. Hit the little button at the top where it says subscribe and you can subscribe to our newsletter and keep up to date. Our next show, we are speaking with the Chief Information Officer of Cisco Systems about the evolution of the CIO role. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Thank you to my two guests. Uh, I really appreciate, gentlemen, your, your being here and taking the time. Thank you very, very oh, thank much. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Have a, have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>